Hey everybody, I want to welcome you again to the Before You Quit podcast where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard and man does it get hard sometimes. That is why we do what we do on these podcast episodes. My name is Mitch Schultz and I am your host, your fine host for these podcasts and also the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry which provides support and encouragement to people who are in ministry. And I don't do this often, but I want to remind you that we work off donations. If you're interested at all in supporting Fruitful Vine Ministry and these Before You Quit podcasts, you can go to my website, www.fruitfulvineministry.com, and look for the support button there. All right, so I have, uh, wow, this is probably one of my more exciting podcasts. I grew up in Papua. Uh, Indonesia as a missionary kid, as a uh, third culture kid, as they are, we are now referred to. And uh, one of my best friends, or probably what I would consider my best friend during those early years, particularly first through seventh grade, was a uh, guy by the name of Steve Richardson. You might know the name Richardson. His father, Don Richardson, was a missionary in Papua and wrote a couple books, Peace Child and Lords of the Earth. Uh, was a phenomenal speaker and a theologian on the area of missions, particularly in the Old Testament, how missions is uh, the story of missions, that call to missions is weaved throughout the Old Testament. Uh, well, Steve is now and has been the president of Pioneer Missions for 24 years. Uh, he and his wife Arlene and three daughters, could be four daughters, live in Orlando, for- Florida, where Pioneers is, is located. And uh, we're going to talk specifically about leadership uh, in ministry and lessons about leadership. Steve is well qualified for this, I, particularly with the fact that he's been doing the same thing for 24 years. Uh, I can't think of anybody better to talk about the whole issue of, of what servant leadership, godly leadership looks like. So let's jump into that now. I think you'll be encouraged and um, strengthened by this podcast. All right, I have the uh, absolute joy of interviewing a childhood friend, uh, Steve Richardson. How are you? Mitch, this is uh, tremendous just to reconnect and be with you. Yeah, I I don't know if you would say this about me, but I always remember that we considered ourselves best friends growing up. And uh, that was probably till the age of probably till sixth grade. And then we went different ways after that. Yeah, those days at boarding school out there in New Guinea were um, sometimes if I'm telling a bit of, you know, our story uh, to somebody on an airplane or whatever, mm-hmm. they, they just think I'm pulling their leg. It's like, yeah, th- yeah. these things, you couldn't be telling me the truth. You're pulling, you know, yeah, it's, it's so yeah. good. Yeah, well, we, uh, we've got great memories, probably hard memories. I'd love to do a podcast sometime with some MKs on the uh, missionary kids on the whole issue of, of of growing up in a in a boarding school. That's uh, that's been on my mind. So we'll probably do that sometimes. It'd be it'd be cool to get three or four of us to sit down and and talk about that. Yeah, so, that's a great idea. Yeah. Well, so we're going to be talking here uh, mainly about lessons in in leadership, particularly uh, ministry leadership. But of course, we're going to get to know your story. You are the, the director of the Pioneer Mission Organization. 
but before we do that, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your family, what led you to, to do what you're doing now. And I love to ask one of my first questions I like to ask is what are you most passionate about? Yeah, well, as, as you know, uh, born in Canada, raised in the jungles of New Guinea, and uh, long story short, my father, while, while I was finishing high school in Pasadena, California, met a family in Washington, D.C. named the Fletchers and thought <clears throat> one of their daughters, Arlene, would be a perfect match for me. <laughs> so he came back home, you know, from this three-week <laughs> speaking tour and walked in the door and announced, Steve, I found a young lady I think would be perfect for you. I was a little taken aback. Uh, it sounded a bit premature for one thing. Yeah, yeah. Not, but anyway, not for him, we, we, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> and so I started asking questions, and Arlene and I, Arlene and I became pen pals. And uh, it's a fun story, but eventually got married. And God led us back to Indonesia, not to the jungles where I grew up, you know, with a tribe of 3,000 people, but this time to a, a tribe of 30 million people mm. crowded into the western third of the island of Java. So we were there over a decade and then uh, helped get pioneers started in Australia and New Zealand. So we were based in Australia for a couple of years, came back to the U.S. and took on this role as president of Pioneers U.S. in 99, so 24 years ago. Yeah. And we had about 800 members at that time, about 500 from the U.S. and 300 from other countries. And it's been a great ride just being part of that mm. journey ever since. Mm. Well, you mentioned your father, and we might mention here that your father, a lot of people will know your, your dad, Don Richardson, who uh, uh, wrote some books, uh, uh, Lords of the Earth, Peace Child. Uh, so I'm going to ask you a question later about uh, how he shaped you, and, uh, but I thought it'd be good to mention that here. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I was I was doing a pod. I mentioned to you that I did a podcast about grandparents on mission, and the couple that I was talking to uh, referenced your dad, and I said, "Oh, well, I I was best friends with his son, and they and they couldn't believe it." And yeah. I found myself in that podcast name dropping a lot, but it was more excitement about some of the connections. That yeah, are there. yeah. Uh, how, cool. many, how many children and you know, how many children and grandchildren do you have? So we had four daughters born out there in, in uh, Indonesia. And we have 13 grandchildren now. They mm. all live in the Orlando area. A couple of our daughters intend to have more kids. So we're looking mm -hmm. forward to and and uh, yeah, family is just so cool. It's not been without yeah. it. It's challenges and faith stretching chapters, that's for sure. But uh, we're 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 really enjoying this stage of life. Yeah, well, I, I tell people that uh, the responsibility that we have as grandparents uh, is a ministry, and I found that this late season in life, it's a it's a privilege to uh, play that role. Um, and I'm sure you're passionate about that. But what what else do you, as you reflect on what matters the most to you, uh, what what drives you? How would you answer that question? And how different is that perhaps from what it was 20, 30 years ago? Yeah, I, I would say my 
my driving passion is to see God glorified. You know, maybe the best way to sum it up would be my personal life mission statement. Years ago, I was really mm. reflecting on if I had to synthesize everything into just one short mission statement. Uh, and I decided it would be that that my life mission is to glorify God by becoming more like Jesus every day mm -hmm. and by using my gifts to their full potential on behalf of the least reached peoples of the world. Mm. So the uh, just unpacking that a little bit, becoming more like Jesus every day, uh, the incremental sanctification process, you know, of life and and going deeper and you know, understanding the heart of God. And then the outward mission and what he's gifted me to do in terms of the big picture. So I love the big picture, Mitch. I, I love the global picture. I love kind of the eschatological picture. And uh, I love connecting people to meaningful contribution in the mission of the Lord. Mm. And specifically as it relates to seeing the gospel proclaimed all around the world. Uh, and I, obviously, I could go on and on and probably start. Yeah, no, early, that's, but. that's great. And that, well, that sets up uh, some other things that uh, I want to talk about You're, I mean, I think it's, 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 it's necessary, also wonderful when your, your personal vision and you've been, a, a, a you know, leading an organization for, for 24 years and, uh, just like a pastor leads a church, if he's there long term, eventually the the church's vision really is the birth of the pastor's vision or or the gospel vision. Uh, yes. You know, I mean, any mission statement needs to uh, emerge out of the the central message of the gospel. Uh, so, talk a little bit about that, and we'll we'll delve into the whole leadership uh, aspect here. How how your own heartbeat, your own personal sense of mission became that of pioneers? Well, I don't know if I would go quite, you know, as far as saying mine became that of pioneers. They, they aligned. They grew together, perhaps. Yeah, they grew yes, together. Yes, they aligned well. So actually, my, my in-laws started pioneers. So, so our marriage was a, a, a merger of two really strong mission-minded <laughs> families. Yeah, interesting. And, and Arlene's parents started Pioneers in their home. There were about 20 or 30 people involved when I first got involved. But I already, you know, since I was in fifth grade, I had a personal sense, and that's a whole other story, of God's call on my life uh, to be involved in missions, not, not just you know, because my parents were involved or that's that had been my own personal experience, but it was a very real sense of um, personal direction. So, so um, yeah, just aligning that with the, the gospel message and, re and really my conviction is that the gospel is the answer to all, all of mm -hmm. the world's problems and issues. And 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 whatever issue is kind of someone's personal passion, you know, be it poverty, be it injustice, uh, be it lack of education, whatever it is, all these things actually can be traced back. The ultimate solution is heart transformation through the message 
mm. of salvation through the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Uh, so I, I like getting to the root of everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love and, that. Yeah. And, you know, uh, studies have been done even on the big picture of imp- the impact of the gospel on nations in West Africa and other places. And it really gets traced back. The progress gets traced back to the impact of the gospel. Take Europe, for example, even though mm-hmm. it's post-Christian now. Wh- what took Europe out of the medieval ages and the... You know, the, people were pretty primitive in many parts of yeah. Europe, you know, hundreds of years ago. What made the difference? You know, it was the arrival and the understanding of the gospel and the printing of the Bible and the Reformation and so forth. So, yeah, that's, to me, that's, in terms of pioneers, seeing the gospel advance in some of the most difficult places around the world you know, in the Saudi Arabias and the Yemens and the Somalias and the Northern Indias and the Pakistans and the Bangladesh and so forth. You could just name place after place. That to me is the ultimate uh, solution, both eternally and and in this chapter of redemptive history as well. Yeah, yeah, I love that. How, How many countries does Pioneer work in? So we're in about 100 countries, a little more. We've got about 300 teams. We've got over 3,000 workers around the world on these teams. Mm. And about a little over 50% of those are from North America. And the rest are from other countries. So we've got about 18 sending bases around the mm-hmm. world. Ah, that's wonderful. Well, I, lo- I love your, your emphasis on, on the gospel uh, you know, any even a, a Christian organization uh, can turn into a business. You know, because you're you're running in, in a big in a real sense, you're running a business. You're running an organization. Um, have you? Was there a point in your life where you had to come back to the center, where, or maybe not you, but the organization, and you had to remind yourself that this is a product of the Great Commission? You know, I I. As you're asking that, I, I don't know that I can point to a point of significant drift, but it's been a continual priority. And I remember we mm-hmm. were having one of our weekly chapel times as a staff, and a visitor who was there that day said, you know what, this is the heartbeat of what you're doing as an organization, and never lose the dynamic that you have here as you're worshiping and seeking God together. Mm. And uh, both both uh, introspectively, in terms of my own life, uh, and the Lord keeps forcing me into positions of having to, you know, just mm. cast myself on Him for family issues and personal issues and so forth. So the, the need for revival and renewal, that's one reason I'm on a sabbatical right now as we're talking. Mm. But then also organizationally, just constantly prioritizing prayer and times together seeking God and reminding one another that this is not just, you know, uh, an engineered process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is the work of God. We're involved in a spiritual endeavor, and there's a, there's spiritual opposition. There's satanic opposition to what we're doing. Yeah. 
I've had conversations with with people in our denomination and and really broad. I, you know, I, it's not that we were necessarily thinking of of certain people, but how it's the tendency in a mission organization, a ministry, is to have leaders that are good at what they do. Um, and there's been times where I've reflected on on maybe our our tendency or temptation to put someone in leadership because they have you know, strong administrative organization gifts, but uh, I, the, the, the need for, for someone to be pastoral is still really important, uh, even, even when they're in a, in a leadership role. So how, how have you maintained that, you know, as you brought people in, uh, you know, people by, might be recommended because they're so good at this, so good at that. Uh, you're looking at their heart, aren't you? You're, you're looking to see what they're alignment to the gospel is what what kind of questions do you ask or things you look for there well you know obviously i have to uh, just continually examine my own heart and motivations and mm. primary contributions because i think like you were saying earlier the senior leadership both both in my role and in the senior leadership team set the tone for that uh, yeah. But but I w- whenever interviewing uh, you know uh, key staff or leaders, I am really looking for the the heart and the passion and the personal journey with the Lord, and asking questions that relate to that, as well as to what you were talking about earlier, your heart for the gospel, and 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 how is that fleshed out in your life mm. in your interactions with non-believers, for example, or your participation in the life of the church and uh, your testimony, your personal testimony. I actually like to ask some theological questions to see how mm-hmm. how yeah. deeply they've thought about different theological topics and how conversant they are scripturally. Mm-hmm. Uh and then just in the in the warp and woof of daily life on the team, pausing to pray, starting meetings with prayer off frequently, mm. or concluding them with prayer. And, you know, people have joined the team, and organizational culture is super important to me. I, I think it's one of my most important priorities is just setting the tone for the, or, the organizational culture, because culture eats strategy for breakfast <laughs> or yeah. for lunch, we've heard. Yeah, yeah. And, and the authenticity yeah. of our, our spiritual uh, dynamism and walk with the Lord and my daily personal devotional time, you know, coming out in conversations uh, during the remaining hours of the day and the lessons being learned, uh, it can be, I think, tremendously encouraging and, and formative for the rest of the team. Yeah, uh, I love that. As you were talking about, as you get to know people, you will, uh, you didn't use this phrase, but but slip in a, you know, theological question that uh, really assess uh, where they are, what they know, what their heart is. Um, I'm part of a Thursday evening uh, Bible study with young guys, and they're all in their 30s, and they're all reformed. And this past week, we had this conversation about people's testimonies, and and, uh, we, we concluded the best testimony is uh is is what has your life been like in in relationship to the gospel because uh, it's really his story you know the story of Jesus that leads people to Christ and when we give our testimony and it's just our testimony that's not enough to 
lead so my you know no one's going to look at my life and say oh i i think i'm gonna give my life to jesus because i've seen mitch schultz you know uh it needs to be christ in me it needs to see the gospel uh but eventually it's you know how how god changed me through his story through uh the as you said his atonement at the cross and uh work of the holy spirit in us and uh and that's that's what i sense is is what's at the heart of what you're sharing Oh, it's really, it's really servant leadership, isn't it? Yeah, it is. You know, Jesus said about the centurion, faith like this I've not seen in all of Israel. Mm. And so here was this Gentile exhibiting faith superior to that of any of his disciples who were spending 24-7 with Jesus. And, 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 uh, this centurion had just said, yeah, he said, I know, I know, basically saying, I know who you are. I, I too tell, you know, my uh, servants go and do this or do that. And they do. So he understood the echelon of authority. And I think, I think that's what authenticity is powerful. I think whether it's our kids or whether it's our coworkers and colleagues at work, people are looking for authenticity, and and they smell it when it's not there. Yeah, 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 for sure. So, so well, integrity, you, 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 it, it, yeah. integrity in the sense of not having a seam, you know, where one stops and the other mm-hmm. starts, of of complete. And that's one thing I think I, my parents really exhibited for me and my in-laws, and it's mm. just so it's just so beautiful. Yeah, yeah. You you travel a lot and meet with your workers, right? Yeah, quite a bit. I'm actually the U.S. director or president of Pioneers U.S. We also have an international director based in Singapore, okay, uh, who does a lot more travel. Uh, but I I would get overseas probably three times a year. As you meet with people, how often, uh, well, that I don't want to quantify it that way. Um, do you sometimes have to remind people of why they're there? You know, particularly if they're discouraged, they're not seeing fruit, there's things going on in their own life, their family. How, how important has it been to, to say, hey, don't, don't forget what this is all about and what you've been called to do? Because that's one of the roles that you have as a leader. You know, traveling internationally and meeting with the various ministries, that's probably the key, (laughs) the key thing that I can do to encourage people is just reminding them, you know, we we lose perspective, don't we? Yeah. We we have a tendency, whether it's overseas or here, but especially under pressure in these places where there are visa issues and there's, you know, community opposition and the church, to the extent that it exists, has all kinds of issues there, just like it does here. Um, I, I think getting discouraged is probably, probably, arguably the greatest threat um, to longevity and fruitfulness, or at least certainly one of the top ones. And conversely, one of the greatest things we we can, you know, as leaders, help rectify. Yeah. 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 I love that. Uh, you know, if a company's making widgets, the leaders always remind the people that work there is like, Hey, this is about making widgets. 
And our company is about the Great Commission. And we yeah. have to, I mean, that's what one of my ministries to pastors. Uh, in fact, the tagline for, for my ministry is to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard. Love it. And that courage comes from perspective. You know, when you have right perspective, it's going to give you courage. And when ministry's hard, then you're, you're brought back again to uh, the realization that this is, you know, this is about the gospel and I committed myself to this. Uh, speaking of that, what, what's been some of the best times, what's been some of the hard times in your, uh, personally for you in, in your role? You know, I, I really enjoy uh, discerning uh, the, the path forward and distilling good ideas from not so good ideas and then mobilizing people and getting them excited. You know, you, you, there's a book about the working geniuses, you know, and the six different main contributions that leaders mm. and members can make. And and my strengths are discernment and galvanizing using the nomenclature mm. of that book. So I, I really enjoy team leadership. And I think, you know, I did that on the field overseas for years and just have translated those principles into the broader organizational leadership and don't feel like I need to be the star of the show, personally, mm. but delight in seeing other people's gifts being maximized, you know, for the for the greater cause. So uh, seeing seeing people come to Christ, obviously in a unreached context, to see churches mm. start to multiply and flourish, to stay in contact with people that you led to Christ, uh, you had a role in that journey mm -hmm. uh, decades earlier mm -hmm. and to be in daily contact with them and mentoring and ongoing. I mean, th these are, we, we had a lady that my wife and I led to Christ after seven years of daily contact. And for probably eight or 10 years after she came to Christ, she would call us and, and starting in the days when an international phone call was probably a month worth of her salary. Right. And thank us. Thank us for, for mm -hmm. having, uh, you know, sown the seeds. So I, I would say challenging though, on the other side of the coin, there, there are the work challenges, but I, I would say the hardest has been just the attack on our family mm -hmm. and, and, and maintaining, and there, there's aspects of the journey and of the spiritual warfare involved. And I'm not sure how much to attribute to just, this is what any dedicated Christian would be experiencing, mm -hmm. you know, and versus how much is by virtue of, you know, the strategic nature of the particular role that God has called you to in leadership mm -hmm. with a mission organization that's, planting gospel seeds in a hundred countries around the world. I, I, I don't pretend to understand how all that plays out, mm. but the attack on our family and the, the, the times I've had to, you know, make an emergency trip back home from Afghanistan or whatever to respond to mm. a situation. And I have to be careful not to go into too much detail on some of that, but it's kind of like carrying some of these burdens in the background that actually, yeah. I actually make organizational leadership pretty easy by comparison. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Mm, mm. I love that. Yeah. Well, you, the, the people that work for Pioneer uh, obviously go through a lot of hard things. Uh, what, what would you say are some of the hardest things you find workers going through? And, and what role does pastoral care play in, in helping them and encouraging them and supporting them? Just being there is really challenging in most of these contexts. And mm. they're, they're often working, you know, some kind of a job uh, and maintaining residency. But in addition to that, you've got the cross-cultural challenges. You know, studies have been done on stress levels and the impact on health and on marriage and the family and so forth. And the stress levels that people are under in these situations where there's so much uh, discontinuity and change is, is tremendous. And then there's the spiritual dimension. And then there's, there's another layer of the family and the children and their education mm-hmm. and the homeschooling. Back in our day, Mitch, you know, it was the boarding school dynamics. These days, it's not as much the boarding school dynamic in most settings. Unless, you know, you're getting up more into high school generally. But still, right. there's, there's that question. So, so in terms of attrition, uh, there's a fair bit of attrition we find, you know, in the first three years. And if people make it through that, the initial adjustment and the tremendous culture shock, then you probably got them for another eight to 10 years. And mm. then the, ki- the kids start getting to the college age. And then there's a whole nother there's a whole nother potential wave. So in terms of pastoral care, uh, all of us are involved for one thing. So, you know, we Mm. talk in terms of the the three legs of the stool, you've got the sending churches and the supporting churches involved, and you've got the mission organization involved, and then you've got the team on the field. And we try to press as much as we can into healthy team life and healthy leadership on the teams. And, and do a lot to try to equip team leaders and team members to provide pastoral care and member care of various kinds in context. And, and, and we decentralize our pastoral care all around the world. So it's not just dependent on somebody back in the office or purely on someone in ascending church. Uh, but that's a whole arena. But th- this whole area of TCKs, which, you know, it's, it's pretty, you and I have lived that. Yeah, third, uh, third culture, culture kids. kids, third culture kids. We, you know, in our context, we used to call them missionary kids, and the challenges that they have and go through, and sort of the polarized perspective that eventually develops in some mm-hmm. ways, either for you know embracing the whole picture, or uh, pretty turned off by it all, is, yeah. is something we've spent a lot of time in organizational effort. Yeah. yeah, I'm glad. Again, it it is the essential of having that pastoral heart and all your leaders. Yeah. I was talking to uh, a missionary uh, last week that actually a family member and uh, they were team leaders on in their field and 13 members of the team have left within a year and they're, they're left alone. And, and uh, we, you know, I, I told them we, I'd like to process with them, you know, how that happens. And, and some of my ministry has been with our denomination, you know, doing uh, conflict resolution. Uh, but it's, it's widely known the three reasons people come home is medical reasons, team conflict, and family concerns. And, um, and so when I hear of a abandonment like this, 
you know, especially at such a high number, I'm curious what has been studied, you know, and how, how this could be avoided and how we can avoid it from happening again. Uh, because at the heart of it is discouragement. I mean, whether it's medical team conflict or family, it's a sense of defeat. And, um, and we, we have, yeah, I, I'm fascinated with what you said about the three year, 10 year, and then, you know, that last stage when kids get older. Uh, and I, I know there's a lot of studies. I know there's a lot of, lot of efforts to try to help that and, and address it. Um, but it is a, it is a real phenomena. Yeah. It's not like back in the old days where our parents went out in the ship and, you know, had no contact. You know, if you did have an issue, it would take a month to get a hold of somebody and, make plans and <laughs> it's a whole different world. It is. The, the screening process and the preparation process was uh, very thorough and intense. Mm -hmm. And the church support and the, the mission sending culture was also quite strong in those days. And, and once you got there, the, you know, the, the ease with which you could just pack up and go home was, was not the yeah, same. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but these days, everything is, you know, it's, everything is more fluid, whether it's here in our culture, yeah. people changing yeah, jobs. For sure. it, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, your, uh, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, one, no, go ahead. Of, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Your father, uh, again, being uh, who he was and, uh, you know, I know you had a great relationship with them, but how, how did he influence you, uh, you know, particularly in the area of, you know, leadership and uh, even growing up as a third culture kid, what impact did that have on your life and the shaping of leader, of being a leader? Uh, for one thing, mom and dad included us kids in the ministry there in Kamor, the, the mission mm. location where we were with the Sawi people. And I remember, you know, with one of those big Bible picture books, uh, teaching Sunday school, you know, in Sawi yeah. and leading the boys, you know, through mm -hmm. the various stories from Genesis and so forth. And, and so that was a joy. He took me along on survey trips. I, I could tell that my father enjoyed being with me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he loved it. You know, he was, he was there translating the Bible in his little office and loved it when I would come in and play nearby mm -hmm. or ask questions and and so forth. So anyway, um, I, I would say too that Dad believed in me, almost mm. inordinately. I, I mean, mm. more than I thought was reasonable. <laughs> mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um, and then also, what's coming to mind is just he was such a big picture thinker in certain realms, not in other realms, but in certain realms. Taught me to think outside the box and to enjoy. Uh, a spirit of inquiry in in different arenas. Uh, he was kind of a Renaissance man in that sense. Mm. Uh, now, I would say that my dad, organizationally, was not very intelligent. So mm. you know, intelligence tends to find find itself in different arenas with different people. So dad could get up and he could talk about redemptive analogies or any number of other subjects and people would just be transfixed. Yeah. And yeah. it was a master storyteller. But when it came to actual organizational leadership, I learned that from my father-in-law. I, I, he, he was my dad's total opposite. Mm -hmm. and, and I had the, the privilege of these two amazing mentors who were like radically different from each other, but they complemented each other 
so wonderfully that I was able to find myself really more on the side of my father-in-law in terms of organizational thinking and enjoying organizational culture and finances and all the stuff that goes with it. So, but my dad, yeah, just that whole idea of the big picture and the biblical basis of mission and communicating and public speaking and rallying mm-hmm. people to that bigger picture. And of course, my mom had a huge part in that as well. Yeah, I remember your dad speaking at Tacoa Falls and talking about the top line and the bottom line of the Great Commission. Yeah. And, uh, and of course, uh, of course, he's famous for the you know, redemptive analogies within every tribe and culture. There's something there that, uh, that, that connects, uh, you know, every people group to the gospel that God has, has written into their, their culture, folklore, legends, you know, something of the story of gospel. It's, uh, so it's, I asked my dad Mitch one time, I, I said, so dad, what advice would you have when it comes to public speaking and communicating? And, and without mm-hmm. hesitating, we were in Australia at the time he was visiting, and over lunch, without hesitating, he said, have something unique to say, then say it creatively. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that was I his answer. It. And I've never forgotten that. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, that's what that's going to be one of my questions. Uh, what When you speak, what do you find yourself speaking about the most? You know, um, in alignment with my own personal mission statement. I, mm. I really enjoy communicating, maybe not so much in words, uh, but by life example, uh, just a love for the Lord. And I enjoy giving Bible messages that aren't even missions oriented, mm. you know, mm. oftentimes. But having said that, uh, my main passion is to open people's eyes, Jesus said. Uh, open your eyes, John 4. Mm. Look at the harvest. He's talking to the people who knew him the best. And I, I, I just love helping to open people's eyes to the big picture of what God's doing around the world and dispelling certain myths about missions because uh, I think they're out there. And I actually recently wrote a book published yeah. by Moody, you know, called Is the Commission. A good segue to your book here. We're going to talk about your book. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's the title again? Is the commission still great? Mm. And maybe all you need is the title. You can answer it. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah, it's a great I mean, title. Maybe we can talk some other time. But I, I unpack there eight misperceptions that I've observed among you know committed believers as it relates to the big picture and the Great Commission. And I, I kind of unpack those, and I find the kernel of truth in them because I don't want to set up straw man and just knock down, you know, straw man. And so, uh, you know, the world, the whole world of global missions is changing radically. And so that, that's been a fun, yeah. that's been mm-hmm. a fun process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I look forward to reading that. And we, we talked before we recorded that um, I'd, I'd like to interview you specifically on that, uh, on your book and, and that title. Uh, so I'll put that on the, uh, the website or website okay. as well as, a, as a link. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, great conversation. And at, at the risk of ending this and making it about me, I always have a question. I and uh, asking my guests uh, if you if roles were reversed here and you were going to ask me a question uh, about what we've talked about or about anything else, what would you ask? Wow. OK, so uh, one of the other book ideas that's percolating in the background 
is is a project I'd like to do on how how to be intentional in terms of a life building a life legacy that honors the Lord. Mm. And my question to you would be, you know, when I bring up that topic of a life intentional intentionality as it relates to a your life's legacy, what mm-hmm. what what two or three thoughts kind of pop into your mind without wow. overthinking it? Yeah. Yeah, I, I love it. Well, I I want to I, I tell my granddaughter this uh, again. My uh, I, as I said earlier, my sense of mission this late in my life is is to really have impact and on my family. And uh, you know, and there's been some challenges there. There's been some very humbling things that have happened because I have always. Uh, I mean, my wife will even say that uh, being a dad. Uh, was the most important thing to me, and it's it's been the greatest honor. Uh, but but I think so. You know, I, the legacy I want is is that I'm remembered as uh, someone who talked often and easily about the gospel uh, with uh, with those especially close to me. Because um, when you think about it, you know, we we do so much to reach the world, and you think of the multiplication factor of reaching your own family or being used by God to instill the gospel in your kids and grandkids, like how many generations are going to be affected by that? You know, I mean, my dad was the first believer in his family um, and he's got 33 great grandchildren and uh, 22 grandchildren. And, you know, majority of them all are walking closely with the Lord. And um, in fact, I was telling you that my my grand I baptized my granddaughter last week, and oh. I had my daughter pray. And when she prayed, she thanked the Lord for my mom and dad and for uh, their deep, deep commitments to uh, to love us above anything else. I mean, my parents left the field because of me. Right. Uh, I had a, a severe nervous breakdown in high in in sixth grade. That's why you and I didn't haven't seen each other except for once or twice since. And uh, and that modeled something to me. It didn't it didn't model that hey I love you. It modeled that my you know my way of showing love to Jesus is is loving you. And uh, so that's uh, that that's what I would uh, say. You know, answer that. I I love that. Thank you. And that that's reinforcing some ideas. Yeah, yeah. I lo- that's a great that's a great topic. I I love that, and I'd uh, love to chat with you even and and, you know, process some things with you on, on that. Cause that is, that is dear to my heart. Well, Steve, this has been wonderful. Uh, any final thoughts before we wrap up here? Thank you, Mitch. Um, you know, friendship is just so important. And uh, looking back on God's faithfulness from those days out there on the mission field together as boys and those formative years, um, and I'm just thankful to the Lord for the, both with you and with several others. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had the privilege of arranging a little reunion for our first grade class. I mean, how, how many people, oh go, my to a, how many people yeah. go to a first grade <laughs> class reunion? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my word. So the blessings have been just tremendous. And thanks for having me mm. on today. It's re- really, we. I've, my wife, uh, in particular, and I have enjoyed some of your podcasts over over the you know over the last few years. Oh, wonderful! And, uh, Thank you. Yeah. So Arlene sends her greetings as well. 
Oh, wonderful. Well, thank you. That's encouraging. Well, thank you for, for being part of this, Steve, and uh, a great conversation and a lot to chew on. And we'll, I'll read the book and we'll connect again to do the podcast on is the, we'll is the commission sometime, still great? Thanks so All much. Right. Thank you. Thank you, take, Steve. Take Bye-bye. care. Well, there you have it. If you have any questions or comments about this Before You Quit podcast, I'd like to encourage you to email me at mitch at beforeyouquit.us. And you can also go to our website, www.beforeyouquit.us, for uh, up to 107, I think 108 different podcasts. You can scroll through the podcast and you'll find different topics that uh, you'll find very relevant. So until next time, stay stay courageous and encouraged because serving Jesus is worth all of that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged.